I want to do something today I've never done before, so um, we'll see. I Let's read from Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I think that's almost the only time in the Bible that that word is stated as that allure. It's a very significant word. Bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly or gently to her. Then I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. The word Achor in Hebrew means trouble. And I mean dark trouble, gloomy trouble. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about in that day that you will call me Ishi, which means husband, and no longer call me Bailey, which means master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their name no more. Okay. I, I want you just to hold that scripture in mind. Because based on last week, and I'm sorry, Zoomers, when we closed out last week, a lot happened here. And um, there were questions. Questions about these chapters in Hosea. Chapters that um, they're, they're pretty rough. The language that is used is, is very rough language. We have seen, if you're just joining us today, we've looked at this woman called Goma, who was the wife of Hosea. She was a temple prostitute. She was enmeshed in Baal worship, which means... Baal, as I just said, means master, but master in the sense that you're the slave. Slave, master. That was the idea that Baal carried with it. Um, and that we, we saw in weeks past is in the Greek language. It's the word love, but it's... Um, the word love that's been distorted and twisted and it actually is the same love that is on the streets of our western world today when the average westerner today says the word love that's what they mean and the greek word is eros and it means i want now and i want for myself the highest the best and the most beautiful and therefore I reject the less, the least, and the ugly. Um, that, that's basically how we understand love. And that was the basis, should I say, the spirit that ran through Baal. A and she was a prostitute within the temple and therefore lived to herself, become the highest, the best, the most beautiful, in order to please Baal. That, that's the whole point with Eros. It gets into our religion and, and we make God in the image of Eros and say we must please him. 
We must be for him the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. And as many of our friends would say, God is too holy to look on sin. Sure, that means he's eros. He, he cannot look at sin. And incidentally, that's the biggest miserable mistranslation, misquotation maybe ever in, in people's lips. Anyway, that's another thing. God <laughs> looks on evil. Believe me, he does. He joined us and he became sin. Yeah. And that's, yeah. But this was not just a simple to, to the people of Israel at this time. It wasn't a simple religion of Eros. Um, that would be bad enough. But they had mixed the worship of Yahweh, which is the Old Testament name for God, with Eros. And so they took the beautiful face of God and mixed it and twisted it and distorted it into the image of Eros, Baal. Now, Hosea, who is the great image of Jesus, in fact, the name Hosea is an Old Testament way of saying Jesus. And so Hosea is sent by the Lord into the temple prostitutes to call this woman to be his wife. Even as God says, I have entered into the darkness and laid hold upon Israel to become my wife. And so the story goes. Israel walked away from God again and again. But of course, Gomer did the same thing. She was always running off to other lovers. And out of this story comes this book. And this is what has questioned, confused a number, probably of you, if they confuse some here, I'm sure it confused you too, that when I read what is here in terms of this is what's going to happen to Gomer, um, and I say it, it's raw language. Uh, you'll be stripped, you'll be abandoned, you'll go up dead ends and circled by thorns and um, horrible language, the loss of everything. Uh, you, you say hopeless, living in dead ends and in despair. But, and this is even more confusing, but just before he will say stuff like that, there's these magnificent promises of what love will achieve and how she's going to be transformed. And when he finishes those hideous statements, it goes into, we just read it, this day of trouble for you is really a door of hope and I'm taking you to the wilderness to speak gently and kindly. And what is it all about? Um, and it's because of last week. If there was confusion here, there's got to be confusion there. And so it was a great burden to me. How could I take these words and make them plain? Well, if you go into the New Testament, you will find all the answers to the questions that are asked in the Old Testament. To, to read the Old Testament as the Old Testament will only confuse you. It, it's a book of unfinishedness. It, it it asks questions, it looks, it sees visions and prophecies, but it doesn't know where they're going. It's only when Jesus came, he ties it all together. And, and the first words after he rose from the dead, he said, the whole and, and the entire Old Testament is about me. And, and so this is what I've done. 
I realize that in the Old Testament, it may be the chief character of the New Testament uh, outside of Jesus is Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. And I have realized that what happened to Goma in her relationship to Hosea is exactly what happened to Saul of Tarsus. Only the language used in Saul of Tarsus, maybe we can understand it better. Okay, I hope that makes it a little plainer. Okay. Um, Pharisee. Saul of Tarsus was Pharisee. And it's very hard to talk about the Pharisees because in many respects, and I'm not being snarky here, in many respects, the Pharisees look like many evangelicals today. Um, and I, I do not say that just as, a, as simply a fact. But what was Phariseeism? It was the same atmosphere as Goma, only it's been up. Baal can have a zillion faces. Eros can express itself under any situation, constantly changing faces. And when I come to the Pharisee, it's that same Eros-Baal mixture. It's the mixture of law, a law that God gave, a beautiful law, which is a law that if you dig up just below the surface, it's a law that is saying love. Agape love, God's love, and for us to act in love to one another. But the Pharisees took that beautiful law and they mixed it with Eros. And so what was to have meant to be a revelation of the love of God within a society became a black hole of self, sucking everything into itself, believing that Yahweh was Eros. What does that mean? Well, if the Pharisee God was Eros, what does that do? Well, it it changes. I I hope you have been here the last weeks are getting this. To to see God through the distortion in the darkness of Eros will change everything I believe about my acceptance by God. If God is Eros, then he does not want to know you if you're the less and the least and the unimportant and the unrecognized and the ugly. Get out of here. He'll punish you. He'll reject you. That's Eros. He only wants you as the highest and the best and the most beautiful. So that means what? I've got to try to be that. Suddenly, the whole of my salvation is on my shoulders. I've got to be good enough for this God that will reject me at the drop of a hat. That's, that was the... See, they, they, they were trying to please a remote a God who had separated himself from us. So I've got to try and, and get his attention by keeping a multitude of rules and laws. Not only the law of God, but they included 
2,000 laws of their own that they thought God should have put there in the first place. Um, well, if, if Eros is what God is like, uh, it's tormenting. It's tormenting upon self. I, I get up in the morning desperately hoping, trying to believe I'll be good enough today. Please, God. And of course, that changes my attitude to all other people. Because if, if God only wants the highest, best, and most beautiful, then if I'm going to please Him, I, I, I don't want to be around people that are the less, the least, and the ugly. Um, so I, I become separated. I am a person who lives in the consciousness, I'm separated from God, I'm separated from you, and yes, you's one of my kind, but you see, I've got to be better than you. In fact, you become a mirror. I meet you every Sunday to look and say, I thank you, oh God, I'm not like her. Uh, and that, that's Eros. I'm, I'm feeling good about myself. You get it? Jesus spoke to these people in exactly the same way that God spoke to Goma. You, you, you know, you, you have to catch your breath as you're reading it out loud. He said to these people who studied the scriptures day and night, who tithed, who fasted, who prayed, they were noted especially for their praying in public, long prayers. They were noted for it. They, they were forever. The temple was everything to them. The temple, the Jews believed, it was where heaven and earth met. The priesthood, everything. These people were fanatics in their devotion. And Jesus said to them, you, and he said it publicly to them. He said, you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and that's why you act the way you act. He was a murderer from the beginning, and you would murder me. Now, hold it. These, Jesus used words on the Pharisees that one would expect him to use on the mafia. But he doesn't. He has a feast with the mafia, and they have a great time together. Matthew 23, he turned to these people, the Pharisees, and says, you are like a tomb. He says, you're all whitewashed on the outside. You look great, but inside you stink with dead men's bones. Whoa. That's not enough. He says, you, you with all that you do, you are like a nest of snakes and vipers. Okay? That's pretty tough language. But at the end of it, he said with great convulsive sobs, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Speaking of the Pharisees. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Now, just a minute. What you just said, you should have walked off feeling good. I just said, got it straight with them. No. He wept. And the, the Greek is great convulsive sobs. It's 
And in fact, in that whole chapter of Matthew 23, each sentence begins with woe. Woe to you Pharisees. And in our Western world, when we say woe, it carries a certain, um, what a pride, I'm better than you and woe to you. But the, in, in the Hebrew, Greek, what's going on here, it, it's a sob, woe. And I can hardly express it. The word doesn't fit in our English. But when, when he said woe, it was with that sob. I, as if it's a, it's a, he's, he's having compassion and he's revealing to them who they are. He said to these Pharisees, you search the scriptures, you better believe it. They'd memorize the Old Testament. But he says, you will not come to me. And I'm the subject to the Old Testament. And when he said will not, it's got in it the idea that you know what I say is true, but you, you've chosen I will not come it, it boil it down, the, the sin of the Pharisee, a religious sin, the sin of distorting the face of God and the sin of carrying that through with trying to please God, Jesus was saying that sin is a greater sin than all of the outward sins that you normally would think of as sin. So he sat down and he ate with tax collectors, which were very close in their crushing of the people to what I've seen in New York with the mafia. Um, but the, the, the hangers-on with the prostitutes, the drunks. And he sat down and he ate with them. And as I've told you before, eating in those days was a mini covenant. He stood in solidarity with them. And I said, you've got the wrong people. You should be with the Pharisees. They're the holy people. No, he says not. They, he said the prostitutes and tax collectors will enter the kingdom first. You guys are so far behind. You hardly know what's going on. Saul was an outstanding Pharisee. I mean, what I've just said is bad enough. He was outstanding. And he might have been in the crowd of Pharisees that Jesus said were of the, the devil. We, we, it's, it's difficult to say exactly, but he might well, there's good reason to believe, that Saul was in Jerusalem at that time as a student of the great rabbi Gamaliel. That's interesting in itself. Years later, he gave his resume. He said, although I myself might have confidence in my flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put their confidence in the flesh, understand I did it more than you. I had total confidence that I, as a Pharisee, was better than anybody else. He said, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. They said, when you're born, you are part of the human race. When you're circumcised, you now have become the chosen people of Israel. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. If you know Old Testament history, 
the northern tribes all rejected and went by themselves. Benjamin stayed with Judah and the promise and the covenant. And He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That is, we spoke the sacred language at our table. And my mother was Hebrew and my father too. Not like you Jews who only speak Aramaic and you don't even know what Hebrew is. No, we, we were the sacred people. Right from a little boy. And as to the law, I was a Pharisee. And I was so zealous. He said, it ended up I was a persecutor of the church. I couldn't keep still. As to the righteousness which is found in trying to keep the law, I was blameless. Mr. Pharisee. I've told you before, they stood up every morning as they got out of bed, raised their right hand and said, I thank you, O God. I am a man. I am not a dog. I'm not a woman. I am a man. And I thank you, O God, I am not as other men. I am a Pharisee. I pray. I fast. I tithe. Pharisee. Certainly he was in Jerusalem after the resurrection. And he believed the temple explanation of the resurrection. That the disciples came and stole the body. Well, he ended up in a synagogue in Jerusalem where a young guy called Stephen was preaching. Stephen was brilliant. To think Jesus had only been raised from the dead by a few months. What Stephen was saying, you can read it in Acts chapter 7. He, he got it straight to the point. He, he said, you say that the temple is where heaven and earth meet. He said, no, God himself has joined. And in Jesus heaven and earth meet in him we don't need the temple anymore we, we've come to the ultimate you have sacrifices we have the blood of jesus and he goes on and on and and, and saul is here he and saul you see had a brain too big brain and, and what he is he gets what stephen's saying so this jesus cult that say he's risen from the dead if they catch on, it means the end of the temple. It means the end of our keeping the law. It means I'm done. I'm finished. And so he authorized the stoning of Stephen, which in itself was illegal. The Romans didn't allow the Jews to exercise capital punishment. But they were so enraged at what Stephen said. They broke the law and they threw him over the cliff and then would take great stones and throw at him. And Saul, who wouldn't dirty his hands doing that, but he was the one who said, give me your clothes. I'll authorize the stoning. And so the men took off their clothes to stone and laid it at the feet of Saul. And he watched. And in it, Stephen Suddenly his face shod, with hands raised. He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's interesting. 
The rest of the New Testament says Jesus sat at the right hand of God. He must have got up to welcome Stephen home. The very first martyr. Saul never forgot that. But what are you going to do when... You might never forget it, but what he said is the end of me and the end of everything I believe. And so... He went like a, a mad dog. The actual Greek there is that he went like a bear robbed of her cubs. He was crazy. He saw himself as the savior of Israel. Because obviously all these stupid people are believing this. I've got to save them from this terrible false doctrine that comes to a head in the name of Jesus. And so he follows this murder of Stephen. It's interesting. Eros, in the name of God, can murder someone. Have you noticed down through history, churches, the church has murdered tens of thousands of people. Um, it's amazing. Don't, don't disagree with John Calvin in Geneva because he burned you at the stake if you didn't believe what he believed. Um, that's Eros, you see. Eros said, I only want the best. I not only reject, I get rid of anything else. They're not worth anything. And so he went through all of Jerusalem, arresting anyone who confessed the name of Jesus, beating them in the synagogue with the stripes, they called them, with the pieces of iron and stone in the end and lashing their bodies. You deny Jesus rose from the dead, and they wouldn't. That left him. Come. He remembered Stephen. Remembered every word Stephen said. Remembered what happened when we stoned him. And now these believers, they're willing to take a beating and still not deny Jesus. It's stuck. It's stuck with an unnamed unease. I don't want to talk about it. It's getting to me like goads that you push at rebellious cattle. And always the question is, suppose they were right. But he shut his ears. He was fueled by a fear of losing everything that was in his life. And so he ran from Jesus to his lover's like Hosea and Goma. Every time he showed his love, she ran away to her lovers. He, he sees something, but this is so other than what I am. He ran away, my, the idols, because the law of God had now become his idol, long since. That was a Pharisee idol. The temple was their idol, their fasting and they're praying it was their idol they did it to please a god who didn't exist this twisted distorted and he was saying with pride i'm not as other men because no other pharisee was doing this they were all saying in fact his own teacher gamaliel said leave them alone do you remember that it came up in Gamaliel was the one who says, leave them alone. If it's of God, no, Saul, his star pupil, went after them 
And the temple was silent. They wouldn't do anything. Let them be. But they gave him papers, authority. And so he went to the Gentile world to first stop Syria. I'm going to cleanse the world of the name of Jesus. And so on the road to Syria, to Damascus to be specific, suddenly there's a light brighter than the sun. And this is the point. Within that light that you couldn't look at, there was the human being, a man, standing in that light. And the voice that wrapped itself around him, Saul, Saul. Almost with the same intonation as he'd spoken to the Pharisees before. Saul, Saul. This is not an angry monster. This this is not someone who's been mortally offended. Saul, Saul. What are you doing, man? Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Now, put yourself in his shoes if that's possible. He's the savior of Israel. I am cleansing the people of God from this imposter, Jesus. Now he hears the glory of God. What does that sound like? I'm another Moses. The glory of God comes to me and calls me by name. Saul, Saul. But then, total confusion. What is a man doing in the middle of the glory of God? And what's all this talk about me persecuting him? I'm doing his service. And then, and I, I could talk forever about this, the answer that came from the man, I am Jesus. Yikes. I mean... Why didn't he say, I am the Messiah? He was. Because then Saul would say, good, my buddy, the Messiah. Why didn't he say he was the Son of God? Saul would have been a bit confused of those words, but, oh no. He said, I am Jesus. The name that Saul lived to rid the earth of. There's no no doubt Messiah would be, Son of God would be, but I am Jesus. Oh no. I am Jesus. The one that he was brutally persecuting anyone who named the name is now standing in the glory of God which to a Jew meant is God. And almost smiling as big as the universe saying, I'm Jesus. The one you're persecuting. You're persecuting God. Because he was and is God. And he rose from the dead. And he dealt with sin. So there's no more sacrifice. And he dealt 
with death. He is everything they always said. Everything you've been hearing, he is that. And you've been persecuting him. I I don't, he must have been trembling like a leaf. Because he still believes that God is this Eros God. And he's been persecuting him. He's waiting for the blow of disgust. He's waiting to be crushed like a roach. Here he is. The Eros man. I am Saul of Tarsus. I am not as other men. And now he's flat on his face in the dust. But here comes another I am. I am Jesus. I am Saul. I am Jesus. Whom you persecute. But what is he saying? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Saul faces agape. God love. The total reverse of Eros. God loves and forgives the person who spent every ounce of his energy to get rid of him? I am Jesus. Or try this one. Hosea looked into the eyes of Gomer and said, I am Hosea, your husband lover. Why are you unfaithful to me? Forgive her. She knows not what she does. Do you see? Because in that moment, Saul's life was over. And I cannot say that strong enough. The very meaning of his life was over. Everything he'd lived and studied and hoped for was in eradicating the name of Jesus. All his life had come to a head in that. And now, he's the one who's been persecuted. His passion had been he did not rise from the dead. He died as a criminal. Well, he did rise from the dead. And here he is. I've met him. It's the end. It's my identity as a Pharisee has just been flushed down the toilet. Everything he believed, everything he hoped for, everything he taught, the entire world of Eros collapsed right before his eyes. He even lost his friends as Pharisees because they wouldn't talk to him now. He's saying Jesus did rise from the dead and is now God inside the glory of God. No, I am Jesus. That did it. That was it. It's over. Done. Later on in the epistles, he describes it as an arrest. He said, he arrested me. An encounter with Christ Jesus, agape. Love looked him in the face, spoke forgiveness, 
total forgiveness. And Eros simply collapsed. Eros was mortally wounded. I am Jesus. That meant his entire life was judged and forgiven and given a new direction. I don't know what to do with this. You could say that the revelation of Jesus was a hedge of thorns. Just the same as Goma got a hedge of thorns. Because where can I turn? If I want to go back to what I can't. Jesus is the hedge of thorns. I can't get through it. If I want to talk to my fellow Pharisees, I can't. They won't talk to me now. I can't go forward. There's nowhere to go. I can't go backward. I no longer believe it. There's nothing left. Hear me, if you've read Hosea. He was stripped naked. You get that? Who did it? Jesus did. He's now ashamed of what he believed and what he'd done. He's very afraid. All the old paths have been shut off. His old loves of the temple and the law and his tithing and his prayers and his fasting and his, I thank you, O God, I'm not as... All of that is over. He's been stripped naked. That doesn't fit anymore. He's left with absolutely nothing. All in a split second. There is a sense in which stripping my heart naked is worse than physical. I hesitate to say that. But there is a sense. If you strip my heart naked, I, I, that's death. That's death. I, he said it, didn't he? I've been crucified with Christ. I'm a dead man walking. Worse than physical. Look, let's get it straight. Jesus is not the icing on the cake of life. Please understand me. Jesus is not the icing on the cake of life. I remember years ago, I won't say who it was, but somebody came to me and said, I really like what you're saying, and I'm going to incorporate some of it into my message. Well, you see, you couldn't even incorporate all of it into your message because my message would kill your message. The only way that you can ever hear what I'm really saying is to destroy your message. And that's what I said last week, I believe. And I said, here's the good news. Everything you believe is wrong. And, and yeah, I wasn't being funny, you know. That's the goodest news you'll ever hear. This was the most wonderful thing that happened to Saul of Tarsus. Stripped naked. The man who was the Pharisee of Pharisees now is like a wriggling worm on the dust of 
No, Jesus, he tears the cake of life apart. And he reveals the mixture was poison. And then he remakes it with the flower of agape. Jesus himself is the recipe. The Holy Spirit is the chef. And puts it together to make a new life. But you can never, never, never add agape to Eros. Eros goes, stripped naked. Sure he was. How many pastors, God bless them, and I mean that, they've said to me, I cannot accept what you're saying because I have too much to lose if I believe what you're saying. Yeah. Too much to lose. Well, I have to agree with you. Yeah. Too much to lose. But agape brings the end of fear. Because all this happened, I'm, it's taken me this all long time to say it, but all this really happened literally in minutes. And this horror of being stripped naked is replaced. He still doesn't know which way's up. He's still empty, confused, and so help me God. But there's a wondering excitement. There's a longing to know this one that stands in the glory of God. And he's seeing what to him was his entire life is now totally worthless and again he writes in Philippians 3 whatever things were gain to me that's the list I read earlier that he that was gain that means my wealth as a human being he said whatever things were gain to me those I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. It's as if he said, in my ledger book, I took everything that I thought was in the black and I turned it over and put it in the red column. He said, everything I thought was gain was really loss. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Yeah. And he said, I count them. And my translation, New American Standard, is very nice. It says, I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. A closer translation, but still not what Paul actually said, is I count it as a pile of manure. Um, I'll leave it at that. But um, he was pretty strong. He said, I look at everything that I would gloat over. This is me. This is, and he says, I realize my whole Eros world was a pile of manure. Or to go back to Jose, this was his valley of Acor. You talk about trouble. 
I said the word means darkness, confusion, that kind of trouble. It, it means it's used elsewhere to describe a gloomy day. Um, it's even been translated as heartbreak. It was translated to describe a muddy path. I get my foot gets sucked into the mud. Echo, the day of trouble, heartbreak, confusion. Well, suddenly, as everything was being shattered and collapsing and dying in front of him, this was really, we read it in Hosea, this was the door of hope. <laughs> it wasn't. I, I thought this was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. I've lost everything. I'm laying here like a naked worm. But he looks back and he said it was the door of hope. It's when life really began. It's. But we read it, and I stopped briefly as we read it. He said he would allure Goma into the wilderness. Now get the background of that quickly. Goma is the picture of Israel. I hope you realize that. When did Israel begin as the people of God? When they left Egypt and went into the wilderness. What's Egypt? Egypt was full of Baal idols. Egypt was Eros. Without, I won't even go there. Um, so he takes them out of Egypt, away from their familiar, away from all the voices they expected to hear, away from all the idols that had tainted them and begun to twist their heads. And we go into the wilderness. Number one, you've been set free. Free from what? Free from Baal masters. And as they go into that wilderness, they didn't know where they were going. They just simply followed the glory of God. And at one point, they thought they were totally lost, even though that's where he led them. It's wilderness. I don't know where I am. don't know what I'm doing. Except there's no bail here. I've come into another world. When did the wilderness begin for Goma it was when Hosea went and bought her off the auction and took her away from all her bales and said you're not going back there until you get this straight for Saul of Tarsus it began right there flat on his face he's lost everything and he doesn't know where he's going doesn't know what's up but see, in the wilderness, they saw the emptiness of the Eros gods, so should have Baal. And in that wilderness, they are freed from the distracting lies, the atmosphere of the Baals that they were so familiar with. And they're now in a solitary desert. Allure. 
He's trying to lure you into the wilderness. See, everything Saul had heard from Stephen, all the testimonies of those that he beat so brutally, they really were shafts of light. It was allure. You know, allure. It's not in your face. You know. If, if I, someone came there and caught your eye and went like this, that, that's. They're not screaming at you. They're not saying, get here or. Just come on, come on, come on. And that, that, that sermon of Stephen. It's the Holy Spirit saying, Saul, Saul. The testimonies of those people who would not deny Jesus. He was allured. The word allure, I say it's a very unusual word. He didn't say, I'll drag you into the wilderness, or beat you into the wilderness, or drive you into the wilderness. I'll allure you. And when I allure you, I'll speak gently to you. I'll speak comfort. Now, this is New Testament. No one can come except the Father draw him. You, you were drawn to Jesus. Not beaten. You were drawn to him. Isaiah said, it, come, let us reason together. Let's sit down and talk about this. So he doesn't force. doesn't threaten. He allures Goma. And he had been... That's what Jesus meant when he said to Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Something a lot had been happening in Saul that we don't know about. It was he's kicking against something. Yeah, it was hard. But here I am. So, it, to allure it means to create a longing. I want that. Um, it's got in it the idea of fascination. I can't can't take my eyes off that desire it means the Holy Spirit woos us draws us as in a magnet because Eros doesn't know a thing about that God Eros God just whacked you over the head or kicked you out I preached this once and <laughs> Well, why not say it? He was a Calvinist. And he'd come there to criticize me. And when I said those words, I said, the Holy Spirit woos you. That's what love does. He just burst out in a laughter, a mocking laughter. He said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Right in front of the whole congregation. Well, that's what I'd expect Eros to say. Eros can only threaten you. But he allures us. The word means to entice. We're fascinated with unexpected, undeserved grace. What we never expected, what we never thought was possible. He allures us. Come and see this. 
can I see it? And it's very plain. I myself will allure her. That's a covenant expression. I myself. That is, he swears upon his own being. God swears by himself. Meaning, if I don't do it, I'll cease to be. He lures us. That's what love does. Revealing himself. Causing Goma to want to leave the bales. Well, that was a, the end of that from the Old Testament to the New. That's the incarnation. God did the impossible. God did that which no one expected. God in our face. And grace is revealed by Jesus. And even when he walked among the people, have you noticed it was never in your face? It was, they say, where do you live? He says, follow me. Yeah, come on. Come and, come and see, come and see. We are attracted, that's another word, attracted to the Spirit, by the Spirit, to a God, a God that Goma had never comprehended, agape, that is so unlike Eros, there's never a mix or comparison. Saul, and it seems a far cry from Goldman to Saul, but it was the same thing. And it was a religion. Only this time, on paper, Saul had the right God. He was doing the right things. He was praying, and he was praying to the name of the right God. But in his head, he twisted the whole thing. That's 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 the sin of the Pharisee. Can you fault a person for reading the Bible? Can you fault them for prayer and fast? Of course not. Unless they're doing it to try to change the mind of a God they believe hates them. Ah, oh, now. What you're doing has become a greater sin than the tax collector. Attracted. Not afraid of him now. You're afraid of Eros, but this one, though I was persecuting him, just said, Saul, Saul, what's the matter with you, man? You know, come, let us reason together. The wonder. Both of them, Goma and Saul, they are introduced to a forgiveness without any record of good behavior. They didn't earn it. It was freely, but fully forgiven. And they find themselves entangled, caught in this love. Lure. It it appeals to the imagination, the excitement, the curiosity. You tasted the love. This isn't dreary doctrine. This isn't a recitation of morality. This is excitement. I've seen a love I didn't know existed. I've seen a love that I too good to be true. And hope is born. Faith is born. The gentleness of God. 
And of course, all the brokenness, all of the craziness that we go through, it all becomes part of the allure. There's, we, we run out of roads. They all are dead ends. And it seems such a waste of time. No, that's all. Well, what's that country western song, The Broken Road That Led Me Straight to Your Arms? Do you remember that one? No? Okay. It's a great song. It's a Christian. I mean, it's a testimony. The guy says, my life was a broken road. And then he said, I realized the broken road led directly to Jesus. Well, it is so. And so they go to the wilderness. They're knowing love, but not understanding it. Knowing that they could look into the garbage can of all their life and meet him there. That's the biggest thing. Because you dare not think of meeting Eros there. Eros will condemn you for that. What a past. You're disgusting. But Jesus lives there. He became our sin. He dealt with our sin. Now he has the keys of death and hell. And when I go to the garbage can, I meet the Trinity. They're there. It's safe. You say it's safe. And all of this is it's that alluring. Fish are caught by lures. You ever heard of that? If you were a fish, you can't take your eyes off that lure. I don't know much about this, but the, the lure, it, it sparkles, it catches sunlight, and it's moving. And, and the fish cut. They're hypnotized by it. Now, we're fishers of men, right? Now, that's another hour. But, um, see, luring was Gomer's trade. That's what she did every day. That's what made her the highest and the most beautiful. She could allure, make herself attractive, make herself to be noticed and wanted. Luring has nothing to do with intellect, logic. It's desire. I want that. I want it. God says, I can allure too. Yeah. And when agape lures you, it's a greater allure than eros allure. He is saying to Goma, my lure is greater than yours. And Saul, as he lays there in the dirt, expecting punishment. That's the only language he knew. Instead, Jesus said, rise, stand on your feet. We've got a lot of talking to do. But right now, I'm going to hand you over to my people in Damascus. And, and so he handed him over to Ananias. It was all so real. So real. But he didn't. I don't know how to put it because I don't want to inject doubt into it. But if you could... Now, I'm trying to fit this all together. 
the law of God is the law of God. So what do I do with that? Jesus is God. So where does it all fit together? And Saul went to Arabia. Did you know that? Lots of people don't seem to know that. He didn't suddenly become Paul the Apostle. He went to Arabia. And after being in Arabia, which is all desert, of course, Arabia is Mount Sinai. Arabia is where Moses received the law. He went there and then he went back to Tarsus where all his family were ready to tear him limb from limb for having shamed the family. It was 10 years before you meet Saul of Tarsus again. And we only put it together by what he said in his epistles. He went into the wilderness. Of course, Arabia was the wilderness. And I think he did go there because that's where the law was given. And he goes there to put together. Where does Jesus fit into the law? Or better, where does the law fit into Jesus? That's where he got his epistles. In the epistles, he said, the mystery was revealed to me. The allness of Christ. And then back in Tarsus, what's he doing? Making tents, for goodness sake. Making tents. Working hard. Just talking with people. No one knew who he was. His parents knew they paid all that money to send him to Jerusalem. And now look what you did with it. This is a fact, and if you have not had the metanoia, you know that word, the word that means that radical opening of the eyes. If you haven't had that, you won't know what I mean. Some of you are right in the middle of that. So you might not understand, but you're right in the middle of it. The opening of the eyes to realize, or at least begin to realize, that the whole world of Eros, that God is the one who only loves the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. That you, therefore, must try to be the highest, best, and most beautiful. And the people who are not highest and best and most beautiful are no good to me. That whole world is an interlacism. And we have been taught that if you'll only put up your hand, walk forward, say this prayer, kaboom! If you want joy, real joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Didn't work, did it? You went through the same old stuff and you put on your Sunday face. And they said in the parking lots, How are you? Your oh, praise God, everything's wonderful. And you know it was anything but. But of course, I don't want to let anybody down. They heard me say the sinner's prayer. I'm supposed to be different, and they must be different. Maybe not. 
Maybe not. But um, there it goes. I know people spent their life. I won't say hypocrite. Hypocrites do that with intention. I don't believe you did that with intention. You're you're afraid. You're confused. People seem to have it. I said the words. I didn't get it. That's why I'll go. I'll go forward again and again. I'll try and get it. What is missing is the wilderness. And I don't mean that you're going to go off into the Arabian desert. I don't mean that. I don't even mean you've got to move to the desert southwest. I mean, okay, let me put it like this. People have come right here to this gathering that we have. And they come and they tell me, you know, we can do this, we can do that, we can do the other. And and we want to serve. And I say, well, sit down for a year, be loved, and know the love of God, and we'll talk in a year's time. I'm not interested. I don't want you to join the choir. You know, come and... No, 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 no. We need a wilderness. A place where I'm no longer hearing the driving voice of Eros. Just really come, let's reason together. Sit down, take off your shoes. Have a beer. Let, let's just hear what love is saying to us. And that might take a year, it might take, I don't know, and it doesn't really matter. Time is not the issue. He speaks in Ephesians. And we've missed it because although it's a good translation, it misses this point. It says in our, all of our translations, put off bitterness, anger. You, you remember the, put it off. Well, you see, the, the, the tone there, what, what that's really saying is strip it off. It's not if I just leisurely take off this coat. It is if I looked and I saw this coat was crawling with lice. I would strip it off. And if my shirt was the same, that would go too. The word is very, strip it off. Uh, Go back to Hosea. God says, I will strip her. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly it's not such cruel language. It's, if you've had a metanoia, you've had your eyes opened, you realize there's a whole world that you called life that's going to be stripped away. In Ephesians 4, he says, you have learned Christ. That's interesting. You've learned Christ. That doesn't happen in an hour. Learned Christ. How does he fit into this? How does he fit into my work? What kind of a person am I now? All of his epistles, he said, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you might know the hope to which you have been called, which means up to this point you don't know the hope to which you've been called. Ephesians? I thought they were the solid gold of the New Testament. Yeah, so are you. But the eyes of your understanding, you need the wilderness to open your eyes and realize I'm not what I was. 
And I'm not what I was because of who he is and I'm discovering it. He said, in fact, I've got to clean your mouth out. He said, your mouth is full of bale stuff. He said, I'm going to clean your mouth so you won't talk the bales. Saul, you see, had to go through that. When he said prayer before, it meant something other than what it means now. He did pray before. But now, now it's different. Well, can I put it this way? I'd take a specific. I've asked many people who say, Jesus is Lord. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, Jesus is the boss of my life. Eros, Jesus isn't the boss of your life. If you read the whole New Testament, it said that he rose from the dead, he ascended, it was declared, it is done, it is finished, and he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, that every knee should bow, every tongue of it. Jesus is Lord. Lord means it's finished, it's done. Shut up and relax. But you see the difference. You go thinking, he's the Lord of my life. I don't know what he wants. I've got to try hard to please him. That's Baal. But now you'll still say, Jesus is Lord of my life. But the Baal has been taken out of your mouth. You, you know it means it's finished and it's done. You see? Discover the new covenant in the face of Jesus Christ. To the point where I no longer say Baal, which means master, boss, slave. Can I, now I'm being a bit picky, so don't get... But no, people love to say I'm serving the Lord. And worse than that, but again I'm being picky, don't run with this. I want the Lord to use me. Love never uses anybody. Love never uses you. You work together. Christ in me. Me in Christ. For me to live is Christ. But there, you see what I mean? It takes the veil out of our mouth and we begin to realize how much of my life was lived before a cruel master that didn't exist. It only existed in the darkness of the satanic lie. Now I've discovered that one wants to be husband, relationship, love, nurture, care. Union. And he said, in that day, you will sing. Remember when they got out into the wilderness, Miriam grabbed a tambourine and began dancing and yelling and shouting. Reminds me of Laurie in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. <It's>, that, <laughs> that was Miriam. That was Miriam. They, they sang on the banks of the Red Sea, danced and shouted. And he said, Goma, you're going to learn to give thanks to God. Jesus came to seek lost Eros sheep.
who had forgotten who God is and forgotten their name. And he didn't come just to pat them on the head and say, now you're a Jesus sheep. <laughs> no, you're going to come around my neck and we're going to go a long journey back home. And you're going to learn who you are. And when we get there, I'm going to say to everybody, rejoice with me. I found my sheep which is lost. And we'll go into the sheep feast together. You know? The new covenant breaks everything of the old. Jesus said, the new wine must have a new wineskin. And of course, do you remember? Well, many people miss it. At the end of that, the Pharisee said, we prefer the old. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm done. But the, the burden on me, and it is, because I've said stuff I would normally wouldn't say, but many of us are awakening to agape. It, it's, and this is universal. You're not, you're not the only one. It's happening everywhere. And, and this awakening, that that which I thought was, this is it. I mean, some things are so it, you don't think about them again. And now, it's changing. And people many times don't know what the change is yet. But what it is, I'm telling you, it is, Eros is falling away. You're being stripped. See, it's, it's, it's not what it sounds like. We're being, we're, yes, of course, you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't go there. Why? Because you've come to believe something that doesn't fit there, doesn't fit there, doesn't fit there. That's right, he's put a hedge around you. That's his sheepfold, he's keeping you. When, when, when you walked out of that church, you thought this is the Valley of Acre. I'm confused, there was trouble, wasn't there? Well, it's a door of hope. Same as when my mother said, I want to smoke, I want to drink, I want to dance, I want a man. She thought she was blaspheming. Took her, I don't know how many years to find out that was her first step. Twisted a little bit, I agree, but it was her first step into the grace of God. She got out of the claws of legalism. And so, you, 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 you've come out of your safety zone. You're familiar. The same old, same old. You've come out of what you thought God was like. It's all been slowly, maybe, or quickly, I don't know, but it's been torn to pieces, shredded. And what shredded it? The beginning of a realization that God is love, agape. And so, don't, don't worry, just relax. We're not going to ask you to join the choir, you see. We're not going to tell you you've got to go witness and bring back ten scalps by Sunday. No. Relax. You're the beloved. You can afford just to relax. Be. And as you be, imagine yourself to be who you really are in Christ. Beloved of the Father. Face to face with Him in Christ. Declared as one of the people of God.
Amen. I did it. It's the first. Okay. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this good news, the goodest news the world has ever heard. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Make it so clear to us. Give us a new vision of the Father in and through Jesus. Give us a new vision of ourselves in and through Jesus. And bring us to the rest that you called us to. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 